0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Listen now for the word of the Lord. For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you deliver to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and thoughtful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to you him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has has will be given. for every for to everyone who has will have more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth this is the word of the lord
1: The Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for bringing us here today and for all that you have given us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So another step along in the narrative lectionary brings us to another parable given by Jesus towards the end of his ministry time in the Gospel of Matthew. As we were reminded last week, with parables there is a larger context that we need to consider here, so we want to be mindful of where we are in this gospel to uh, better understand this passage. After the text that we had just heard, the Gospel of Matthew will tell us about some other powerful moments in Jesus' ministry, such as the anointing at Bethany and the Last Supper with his disciples, as well as his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. With many of the parables throughout the Gospels, there is usually a question or some kind of setup that leads Jesus to give the parable. In the text last, last week, Jesus was asked a question challenging his authority, which led him to give three different parables, including the parable of the wedding banquet. And with our text today, there's a similar thing with there being a setup here. If any of you uh, have one of those Bibles where the words are read when Jesus is speaking then this would have been easier to see but there is very little narration that happens in chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew. Uh, If you look at the the text the words almost all of them are read in those two chapters and there's very little narration that happens there. With chapter 24, Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple and his return. And in the second half of the chapter, Jesus gives some other metaphors and lessons trying to teach the disciples about faithfulness in the time before his return. Chapter 25, which we just heard from, that has the parable of the ten bridesmaids and the parable of the talents continues this message of faithfulness. And it is faithfulness in doing the work of Jesus until he comes again. And that is where we find ourselves today. But before we get too lost in the weeds here, I want to take a quick minute to talk about parables. Um, I'm going to be honest here and, and say that a good amount of the time, these parables are pretty confusing to me. And uh, I was thinking about them as they feel like riddles wrapped in stories or a super long-winded metaphor, but regardless of how I look at it, uh, there seems to be some kind of element of mystery to them and feels like there's something that I need to figure out or, or decode when looking at parables. Pastor Dave had told us last week that we want to avoid misinterpretations of these texts because um, it's easy, it can be really easy to uh, misunderstand or misinterpret them, and I think that's a really helpful reminder when it comes to parables. Now, if uh, any of you, like me, are confused by parables as well, then I think that that is okay because we are not alone in that having Jesus explain why he used parables was important enough that it's included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, The reason I speak in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. To me, that sounds like Jesus is saying, I have to tell them stories because if I were to, uh, because if they saw and heard the secrets of God's kingdom, they wouldn't be able to process what they were seeing or understand what they were hearing. That might sound a little harsh, but at the same time, it does make sense to me why Jesus would say that. A similar thing happens today, I think, because there are things like Aesop's Fables, which uh, I remember hearing as a kid. I'm not really sure how much they're read now, but there's a lot of power to things like that. For example, it can be hard to explain to young kids when the right times to play are or when the right times to work are. And if you just told them that directly, it might be difficult to understand because not everyone responds to that sort of teaching. But if you tell a story like the ants and the grasshopper that communicates a similar message of when the right times to play are and when the right times to work are, I think it's easier to understand and to to remember the message. Again, Jesus is doing a similar thing here. But even though parables are a bit confusing, when I looked at this as a story, it helped me to see and understand some things that I didn't see before. And one of the biggest things that I saw was comparison in this parable and how it relates to faithfulness. In verse 15, the master who is going on a journey gives three different amounts of talents to his servants. Now, when I thought about that, about this story that has three different characters who were given three different amounts of something, the place that my mind first went to was my experiences growing up with three brothers, or two brothers, sorry. Uh, As many of you probably know, whether you have kids yourself or or from your time growing up, siblings very rarely get the same amounts of things. Uh, In my experience, that was a lot of... um, mostly applied to the money that we got from grandparents or how late you were able to stay out or if you're the youngest, it's probably how much you're able to get away with. Uh, but again, those, those amounts were very rarely the same. I don't remember if it was ever really the same. Uh, and when that came up, there was definitely always complaining. Uh, I'm going to hold my hands up here. I probably did most of it, but... It was definitely there. there was a lot of complaining involved, but in my defense in those situations I, I think it's hard not to compare. I wouldn't be surprised if the servants in this in this passage had done that and at the end of verse fifteen, we get one kind of answer as to why they were given different amounts. The master gave particular amounts to these servants each according to his ability. So the first servant was given five talents because they had the ability to handle five talents. The second servant was given two because they could h- handle two, and the first servant was given one for the same reason. And as I was thinking about comparison and how these three servants got different amounts, I asked myself if they had talked about what they were going to do or what they were, were doing with a talent at any point. In verse 16, it tells us that the servant who got five talents went out at once to trade with them, but there isn't any mention of when the second and third servants decided to do something with what they had. In parables like this, where I have to dig a little deeper to grasp Uh, what's going on, I have tried to imagine myself in the positions of the characters in the story. I thought about how if I was this first servant, I probably would have done a similar thing and tried to trade with the talents to hopefully double my money. If I was that second servant, I might also try trading or maybe try to start some kind of side business to make some money that way. But if I was a uh, third servant, I very easily imagine myself being terrified by the situation that I was in. You might have seen this uh, little text note in your Bibles in the, in the bottom of the page, but talents doesn't refer to just any s- sum of money, but, it, but it's a, a ridiculously large amount of money, actually. A lot of scholars have estimated one talent to be about 15 to 20 years worth of work for the average laborer. And if you were asking yourself how much money that uh, would be today, I tried to do the math. I hope this is accurate. Uh, I had to look up how much the minimum wage was here in New Jersey. Uh, So I don't know if this is completely accurate, but one of the numbers that I saw put the minimum wage about $13 an hour. So, for the purposes of this example, we're gonna we're gonna pretend like someone worked forty hours a week, fifty-two weeks a year, and we're also gonna really have to extend our imagination and pretend like taxes don't exist. Uh, so, if we use those numbers, then one talent would be anywhere from four hundred thousand to five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, imagine someone just giving you that amount of money and then saying that they 're going to go on a trip for however long and probably imagine that or would probably expect you to to do something productive with that amount of money. I think it would be a lot easier to uh, do something with that now because there 's the stock market and all types of those stock trading apps and and digital currencies and and now I guess NFTs, which I don't really understand. Uh, But obviously they didn't have anything like that back in the times of the New Testament, so their options were a lot more limited. For these first two servants, if they had tried to increase their money and ended up losing some of it, as tends to happen when trying to Uh, make more money, uh, they would likely still have a lot left over. But for that third servant, even though one talent, again, is a large amount of money, the margin of error was a lot smaller, relatively speaking. So because of that, because of that small margin of error, I can understand why they did what they did. uh, It's easy to blame at first, but when you look at the larger context, I think it's a little more understandable. To his credit, he admits that he knew he was motivated by fear in verse 25, which was one of the reasons that led him to take what he thought was a safe course of action. He tries to make his case in verses 24 and 25 when he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Here you have what is yours. The argument here is that the third servant knows the master so well that he knows how the master will react. But as the last few verses of this passage show, the servant was clearly wrong. I think he made one too many assumptions here and because he didn't put in an effort to try and do something productive with what he was given, he was not able to enter into the joy of his master. But it's... Obviously, a different story for the first two servants, both in what they said to their master and what their master said to them. For what they said to their master, I find it really interesting that the second servant, as they're giving back the master's money, says the exact same thing that the first servant said. He doesn't add any snarky comments or or anything like that, which is probably what I would have done if I was in that situation. I think if that were me, I probably would have said something along the lines of, well, even though you gave me less, here's the money that, you, that I'm giving back to you. And again, you gave me less, so I'm giving you back less. Um, but yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but a comment like that isn't in the response that the servant gives, which is probably a good thing, and I think is also intentional. As for the master's response, when the servant returns the money, the master gives the same responses word for word to both of the first two servants. Both times he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As we read this story, I feel like it's important for us to remember here that Jesus was telling this parable to his disciples in trying to prepare them for his death and through the times until his return, Jesus was giving them this lesson. The lesson this parable gives us is one that I think the disciples needed to hear and one that many of us need to hear as well. What this parable teaches us is that we need to be faithful in the work of Jesus and to give our best effort. This parable isn't about producing results like making more money, and it isn't really about money at all. If this parable were about money or results, then when the first two servants were returning the master's money, there likely would have been one of those snarky responses like what I just gave earlier or the master probably would have said something along the lines of well why didn't you make me more money? But he doesn't say that. Instead the master says well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Because they were faithful in putting forth an effort, they are told to enter into the joy of their master. To close here, I uh, want to share why I decided to uh, use this phrase as the name for the sermon. When I thought more about the importance of effort, the phrase that came to mind was, was give it the old college try. And I imagine someone doing one of these motions as they said it. Uh, Before I looked it up for this sermon, I don't think that I I had ever really used that phrase before in in an actual conversation. I didn't know where it came from and I definitely didn't know what a college try was. According to uh, what I could find online, it comes from a baseball context and it usually refers to An attempt to achieve something with a high risk of failure. So probably like someone trying to uh, jump off of the back wall in a baseball stadium stadium, trying to catch a fly ball. One of the websites uh, I looked at had said supposedly the phrase referenced the enthusiasm of an amateur athlete playing for their college team. So this phrase is meant to acknowledge and emphasize the effort that one gives, regardless of what the result will be. And if you look throughout the New Testament, you will see the disciples attempting many things that could easily be seen as having a high risk of failure. And in a good amount of those moments, what they tried and did end up failing. But they were faithful and they tried. Which is what Jesus was trying to teach them here. For each of us in our own lives, there will be times when we will try and succeed and other times when we will try and fail. When we succeed, it builds confidence and we are encouraged But when we fail, that confidence can very easily disappear, and the discouragement that comes from failing can lead fear to control us. But through this parable, I believe that Jesus calls us to give our best effort as we work for him. In our performance-driven society that emphasizes results, it's hard It's very hard not to compare yourself or your results to others, and I'm not going to pretend like I don't do that. But while comparison can often be discouraging and unhelpful, including and maybe especially in our faith journeys, Jesus offers us this hope. That even in the face of overwhelming odds and in the face of a high risk of failure, we can show our faithfulness and love for him not by our results But by our efforts, so that we can hear Jesus say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Will you you pray with me? Steadfast Jesus, we thank you for the deep and abiding love you have for us and for all the different ways we can show our faithfulness to you. As we continue on in our lives, Jesus, we ask that you help us remember to be faithful in our efforts. For your work. Amen.